Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell stories, the hidden stories, the ones that unfortunately many people do not want you to hear of the pandemic. I've got a wonderful guest here with me. We just met a few minutes ago, so I'll be hearing his story for the first time as well. But it's a story that needs to be told, and more importantly, a story that needs to be heard. So if you're touched by this story, if it impacts you, please share this podcast with friends and family. Get it out there on social media. Let's get these stories heard. My guest today is Steve Wanger. Steve, welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. Podcast. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So we're here to talk about your story of uh, injuries sustained due to COVID vaccination. So let's uh, talk about the very most maybe important thing right at the beginning is when did you actually get your, your vaccine? I got mine on May 18th of 2021. Okay. And which one was it? I had the Johnson & Johnson. Okay, so you had the single-dose vaccine on May 18th, uh, and what were your thoughts going into that vaccine? Were, were you uh, super on board? Were you hesitant? Uh, how were you feeling at that time? Um, I was hesitant. I, I've, I've never been a fan of vaccines. I've never had a flu vaccine. I've never, you know, other than my uh, child baby shots when I, was, when I was born back in the 60s, other than that, you know, I've never, never had a, a shot, you know, like, let's say tetanus. Um, I had no interest in getting this one. I had no interest in the COVID vax. Um, I had been to my pulmonologist. I have a little bit of asthma. Uh, the air quality here in Phoenix can be less than desirable at times, and it kind of gets my asthma uh, fired up. <clears throat> at the same time, I was working up on the Navajo reservation um, where COVID was really impacting the Navajo hard, really hard. It was pretty, it was rampant up there. And, um, you know, on the I guess on the advice of my pulmonologist, who basically told me if I get COVID with my asthma, I'm going to end up on a ventilator. Uh, with that, and uh, and with the fact that I was working with the Navajo, uh, and I was not getting pressured by them, but it was let's just say being strongly recommended or strongly suggested. <clears throat> um, I did go in and I got the shot, and uh, it's funny because when I got the actual vaccine. Um, I was sitting there and the, uh, the pharmacist was prepping the shot. And I looked at the guy and I said to him, I said, man, I said, you know what? I said, I really hope I don't regret this someday. And, uh, he kind of laughed, snickered, I guess, whatever you want to do and gave me the shot. And lo and behold, I guess <laughs> I didn't realize someday would be, uh, would be 10 days down the road. So <laughs> I guess someday came a little sooner than I was anticipating. No kidding. So let's talk about that. Then you say 10 days down the road. Is that when you started noticing issues? That's when I started noticing. And when I think back on it, that's really when uh, the symptoms were really starting to, to show themselves. And I was having problems just with, um, I was just tired. You know, I just, I just always felt exhausted. Uh, my legs felt really heavy. Um, we were in Sedona and we had to walk up this hill. Uh, we were visiting my sister-in-law there and we had to walk up this hill to go into town. 
And uh, it was like climbing Mount Everest. It was just mm. like my legs were like bags of cement. And, uh, you know, I guess at that time I really didn't think anything of it. Well, you know what? No, you're just maybe not feeling good. You're just not feeling it today. You know, maybe you're just whatever, the altitude. Um, you know, there, there were easy ways to explain it off. But as time went on, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of days down the road, my knees would start buckling. I'd be, I could be walking along and my knee would buckle, almost like someone's behind me, you know, uh, kicking me behind the knee. Uh, then I took a couple falls where my knee just, my knees just gave out and I just fell to the ground. <clears throat> and the, uh, the final straw was I was at one of my ne- uh, job sites. Uh, we were up on a mountaintop and I had to walk from my truck to a small shelter and it was kind of across uneven ground and uh i got out of the truck took about four steps and collapsed on the ground and i couldn't I, i couldn't get up i could not physically pick myself up and uh i had to have a couple guys from the crew i was supervising uh a tower crew up there and they came over picked me up and put me back in my truck and i sat there for maybe two hours and i thought well let's try this again and Got out of the truck, got about maybe six steps this time, and collapsed again. And again, they had to pick me up. And uh, that was when I came home, and and it just it it really uh, escalated. And I got home. Uh, the next day, I had my my wife take me to the ER. We went up to the uh, the hospital over in Sun City, and uh, she drove me to the front door. And I literally rolled out of the car and crawled on my hands and knees. Uh, into the ER because I, I I couldn't I could not get on my feet. I literally crawled through the front mm. door of the ER on my hands and knees, and I'll never forget the look on the receptionist's face. You know the gal who was there checking people in. I she had this look of horror on her face as I'm, <laughs> as I'm crawling in their front door, and uh, I had a couple people come over, pop me up, put me in a wheelchair, and um, I got well. I guess the 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 benefit of it was was I got in right away. I didn't have to sit and wait wait in line. So I <laughs> I, I did get expedited service. So I guess there it, was a silver lining there. <laughs> there you go. So <clears throat> okay. So what was the uh, diagnosis uh, from the ER? The ER diagnosis was uh, they gave me a spinal a spinal tap. So they they do a lower lumbar puncture. They stick a needle uh, in your lower lumbar into your spinal cord, pull out some spinal fluid, and test it. Uh, it had ele- what they called elevated proteins and the okay. elevated proteins at that point, the doctor said, you know, it could be ALS, it could be MS, it could be, I mean, he was rattling off all these horrific diseases that it could be, I'm just, yeah. you know, and I'm just sitting like, well, where did this come from? And, um, my sister had been doing some just Google searches, Google searching my symptoms and that stuff. And she kept coming up with this Guillain-Barre and I said to the doctor, I said, well, you know, and I don't want to quote Google here. I said, you know, you're a doctor and I, I hate to quote Google, but, you know, according to Google, one of the things that could be is Guillain-Barre. And he said, yeah, and he agreed with it. And uh, they checked me into the hospital. Uh, they did some more tests and the neurologist came in the next morning and said, yeah, he goes, it's Guillain-Barre. And uh, so they started treating me for that. And... Uh, they were using the typical treatments, uh, the IVIG, and uh, which is a uh, immune globulin, <clears throat> uh-huh. and uh, they treated me with that for four or five days, I think it was, and then sent me off to rehab. 
and I was at rehab for like three days and I was getting worse. And then they sent me back uh, a second time to the hospital. Um, and they said, oh, it's just your, because I was having, my feet were, were going numb. They were just really tingling and it just, it felt like my feet were ice cold and in a vice all the time. And they kept telling me, well, that's your nerves coming back to coming back. So they sent me back to rehab. And then I, you know, two days later, I was back at the hospital again. And then they gave me more IVIG. And uh, I spent a total of 30 days at the hospital in Sun City. And uh, I was still getting worse. I was still getting worse. Um, so I checked myself out of there. And we went over to the Mayo Clinic here in Phoenix. And I checked in. I got checked into the Mayo Clinic. And I spent a total of two and a half months at the Mayo Clinic. And uh, the diagnosis of Guillain-Barre was, I guess, correct in a sense. Um, what I actually had was, uh, it was, it's called CIDP. It's chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. And it is a chronic version of Guillain-Barre. And it is the most severe version of Guillain-Barre. And <laughs> I guess to add insult to injury, the, uh, the neurology team that I had at Mayo uh, has dealt with this, has dealt with people that have had CIDP and Guillain-Barre from other things. It's not just from COVID, but from other things as well. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying, he's, it's, I've got one of the most severe cases he had ever seen because for me, I was on a downward spiral for three months. Uh, for three months straight, I was getting worse. You know, at first I lost my, my legs and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stand anymore. And, um, then my arms started going, I started losing my arms. Then I lost my hands and my fingers. Uh, and I lost my right arm first and then my, my left arm. Uh, I lost my left arm and, uh, for, almost six weeks, I was a quadriplegic. I was paralyzed from, from my chin, basically from my chin down, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. So they were completely gone. You couldn't move them at all. I could, I had very, I could, I had very minimal movements, nothing that, um, I could not pick up if, if I wanted, when I was laying in the hospital, if I wanted to drink a water, you know, they had my water in a, in a small styrofoam cup, Mm -hmm. And they would fill that styrofoam cup up only about a, it was a standard, maybe 12 ounce cup. And they yeah. fill it a quarter of the way up. And I still couldn't, I could, if I picked it up, I would drop it in my lap. So I had to, if I wanted something to drink, I had to, I had to ring the nurses and the call button, even the call button for the, to, to call the nurses. Um, I didn't have enough strength to push that button. Uh, wow. They had a pad, a little pad. So I would just kind of, drop my hand on the pad and that would that would activate the button the nurse call um the remote control for the tv i could not i did not have enough strength in my hand and this is something everybody can relate to because everybody uses the remote control from the tv every right. day imagine not having enough strength in your hands to push the button to push the button to change the channel or to turn it on i did not physically have the strength to push those buttons to turn the turn the remote out or turn the TV or change channels or anything. Um, so for over a month, for over a month, they uh, they had to feed me, uh, they had to bathe me, dress me, take me to the bathroom, 
uh, I mean, I was, I was hundred. It was like I was like a, a, a two month old infant. I was a hundred percent incapacitated. Hundred percent dependent. Yeah. So, was there pain or discomfort with that, or numbness, or just lack of strength? Um, I had. It was bizarre. The pain. I didn't have a lot of uh, pain. I did, I had I had some pain. Like I think the worst pain I had uh, was the nerve was the nerve pain. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, at night there were nights where it felt like someone was just sitting there with jumper cables and electrocuting my legs. Just the mm -hmm. the nerve pain running up and down my legs uh, was excruciating at times. Um, when my feet were going numb, um, when my feet were going numb, it would feel like they were ice cold. I mean, it would wake, I would, it, it was, it would wake me up in the middle of the night. My feet would feel so cold, like they're on the verge of frostbite. And I'd, I'd call the nurses in and I would ask them, you know, my, my feet are, I'd tell them, my feet are frozen. They're absolutely frozen. And they'd take the blankets off and they'd, you know, they'd touch my feet and they're, well, they're warm. They're warm, but to my, to, you know, my brain, I was, they were frozen. Yeah. Um, it felt like my toes were in a, were in a vice that, you know, like you took a, a bench vice and you put your foot in there and started cranking it down. It just felt like my foot was getting crushed at times. Um, that eventually passed. Um, and it, you know, and it just went to complete numbness and still to this day, even now, you know, I've been out of the hospital now for going on six months. And, um, I'm still numb. My fingertips are still numb. So my fingertips are still numb. Uh, and I'm numb from about mid thigh down to my, down to my toes and on, on both legs, on both legs. And when I say I'm numb, okay. there's, there's things I can, I can feel things, but it's, it's the sensory nerves. It's like if, if, if you brush across your, your leg really softly like this yeah, or your foot, I can't feel that like this on my fingers and my hand. I don't, I can't, I know I'm doing it, but I can't feel it. I can't okay. feel it. Um, but you know, if I took my hand and, you know, and stuck it with a knife, I'd feel that. So it's, okay. the, it's the sensory nerves and, um, it's the same with, you know, with my legs and my feet. So, All right. so are you able to walk and get around now? I can walk. Um, when I came out of the hospital, I was in a wheelchair, uh, I, I had lost 70 pounds of my 70 pounds of body weight. Uh, all wow. of that was muscle. I mean, I came out and my arms, I mean, everything were, was just, was, was flappy. It was, everything was loose skin. Everything was loose skin. And, um, they, they put me into a, uh, an outpatient rehab facility and, or they had outpatient rehab routine. And I'm the kind of person I'm just, I'm not real patient. So when it came time, uh, you know, I went to the first rehab session and it's just kind of like, okay, well, this is kind of lame. And I went to the second one. I'm like, okay, this is kind of lame. And, uh, I decided that I was going to, you know, I had been in and out of rehabs enough in this past three and a half months that I knew what they were trying to do. I knew the workouts they wanted me to do. And, um, I had a pretty good idea of what I needed to do. So I joined one of the fitness centers here or the fitness clubs here in town. 
and I would get up and I'd go to the fitness club. I'd get there about eight in the morning. Uh, and I would sit on the, I started out on the recumbent bike because that was all I could do. That was all I could do. And, and to do the recumbent bike, um, they had to tape my feet to the pedals. I'd put my feet in the pedals and they would tape them onto the pedals because I couldn't hold them up there. And, uh, between what I had for strength in my legs and a little bit in my arms, I was able to pedal and, uh, and I'd do that for, I'd be at the gym for four hours a day, five hours a day. Every day, Monday through Friday, I was there four or five hours a day. And uh, after three and a half weeks of that, I had built enough strength back in my legs that I was able to, on uh, I think it was October 18th, <clears throat> I was getting ready to leave the gym. I was wheeling out, I was wheeling back into the locker room and there's like this half wall. There's like a half wall there and... I was kind of looking at him like, oh, I wonder if I could pull myself up on that. And I wheeled over and I parked my wheelchair and I grabbed onto the wall and I pulled myself out of the chair and I was able to stand. And I stood up and it was just like, oh, it's just, it was the greatest feeling in the world. It was the most incredible feeling in the world. And I stood there for maybe 30 seconds, sat back down and uh, felt like I had just conquered the world. And uh, about a week later, um, I was still working out just as hard. And uh, uh, they, they've got all the, I, my, my daughter, my daughter had come out from Wisconsin. When, when I got out of the hospital, my daughter moved out here. My daughter, her fiance, and, her, and my granddaughter, they moved out here from Wisconsin. They're both RNs. And Erin came out to help me with my rehab. Uh, she's also a personal trainer. So she came out to help me with my rehab. And Erin uh, would always start out on the treadmills when we do our workouts and I thought, so maybe I should try the treadmill. And I went up there and one of the, the fitness center guys was there. And I said to him, I said, well, how slow does this thing go? And he goes, well, it goes to a half mile an hour. I said, all right, well, I said, let's try that. And I said, I said, if you don't mind, would you stand behind me just in case I get fired off the backside of this treadmill? And he kind of laughed and I got in the treadmill. We set it to that half mile and I walked on the thing for, uh, about six or seven minutes. And of course, when I say walk, I was whole, everything with all my weight was on my arms. I was just kind of moving my feet along with the, with the, the thing. But I, you know, like I said, I've just been working. I keep a, I keep a notebook. Uh, of, I have a notebook of every workout I have done since I started there. I have every single workout uh, every, the weight I started with, what, what exercises I was doing. So I can go back today and I can look at what I did on November 3rd versus what I did today. And I can see my progress. Um, I started last week doing, uh, hit, uh, uh, hit, um, the high intensity training workouts, high intensity interval training. I started doing that last, in fact, I did my third class today. And um, I'm doing things that, that, I, that I didn't know I could do. So the first couple times, I think I did, I did jump rope. That's awesome. Um, you have no idea how much coordination it takes to, to jump rope. I mean, it's literally, I'm flipping the thing over my head. I'm watching it slide across the ground, and I have to tell myself to jump. <clears throat> um, jumping jacks. Uh Again, 
it's you know an average person does jumping jacks and you don't think about it. you just you just do the right. jumping jacks and for me i'm still like okay i gotta jump arms up jump down nope yep, and i'm physically telling myself this is how you do it mm. um so but i'm seeing that the the hit workouts are helping me a lot they're improving my stability um i walk with i can i am proud to say i can walk with, i walk with a cane and I can walk without it. Uh, if I go any, if, if I'm going just around the house, I don't use my cane. But if I go to like the grocery store or something, I'll take my cane just for, if I'm going on a longer where I'm walking a little bit more, I always take it. Um, my wheelchair, I was able to ditch. I ditched my wheelchair. I want to say that was, I remember it was end of December. That's um, I ditched my walker. Uh, that was end of February, and now I just kind of get around with my cane. And uh, I still have a lot of. I, I have. I have a probably the biggest hurdle I have right now is is I get. A, I've got a lot of pain in my feet. Uh, my the bottoms of my feet. Uh, it, it feels like it, in most cases it feels like I'm standing on broken glass. Mm. Uh, so walking is I can do it, but it's. It's, it hurts. It hurts. All right. Let's, let's talk about the, the process in terms of, you know, getting, going from the hospital to the Mayo Clinic uh, and what you were being told by the, uh, the doctors there. What, what were, you know, besides uh, Guillaume Barre, I never say that one well. Um, w- did they have any ideas as to why you suddenly would experience this? Uh, did you at that point, uh, have, uh, ideas that maybe the vaccine was involved? How did that all happen? Um, I, I, I suspected the vaccine right off the bat. Okay. Uh, I've never had any kind of, any kind of illness like that. I've, I've never been hospitalized. I've, I've never, I mean, other than a cold or a flu here or there, I've never been sick, especially not like that to where, where I need to be hospitalized right. for, for that length of time. Um, as far as the doctors, I got into it. Um, <laughs> I got into it several times with the doctors. Uh, I got into it with the administrators at the uh, the re, uh, rehab centers. Um, I had a doctor when I was at Mayo or when I was at uh, Banner over in Sun City. Um, I had him come in. He came in. It was just kind of like the the hospitalist doctor, and. Uh, I ended up throwing that guy out of my room twice. Uh, the first time, first time because he came in to my room and didn't know who I was, what my condition was. He had never read my charts. He had no idea who I was. And he just started rattling stuff off. And I just told him to get out and come back when he knew, when he was, you know, up to speed with what was going on here. And then he came back the second time and he made some crack about um, me thinking this was the vaccine because it was noted in my records that I felt it was the vaccine. And he made some oh, okay. crack about, about oh, well, you know, it's not the vaccine. The vaccines are safe. And, oh, it's, this couldn't be caused by the vaccine. And uh, we got into it pretty good there. And, again, I told him to get, you know, get the uh, bup, 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 the beep, beep, beep out of my room. <laughs> um, and I never, luckily, I, he never came back again. So he obviously got took my message and got my point. Um, uh, it was just, I had my neurology, my last neurology appointment was two and a half weeks ago, actually three okay. weeks ago tonight, t- three weeks ago tomorrow was my last appointment, follow up with my neurologist. Uh, 
And he actually put into my medical record that my CIDP was caused by the, the COVID vaccine. Really? So, yeah. So, so my surprise, uh, three weeks ago when I had that neurology appointment, um, I was going over, uh, I got home and I was reading over his notes. And uh, I happened to notice that he had in there that my CIDP was caused by the COVID vaccine. And I'm like, and I'm, I actually took a step back. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's a big wow. And not only did I download that document and save it on my laptop, just in case, you know, someone changes their mind and decides to go out and, and modify that record. I've got, yeah. so I've got an actual hard copy of it on my laptop that I keep. Um, prior to that, um, I had a couple, I had a couple of newspapers that wanted to interview me while I was in the hospital. And, um, of course, as soon as you'd say, you know, it's a, it's a, a vaccine injury, you know, all you'd hear is crickets. Right. Uh, I had one paper that said, well, all right, well, we'll do an interview, but we want proof that it's from the vaccine. So we want something from your doctor stating that, you know, this was caused by the vaccine. And this was back in, you figure this is July, August of last year. And I said, right. I said, it's ridiculous. I said, there's no way he's going to put that in writing because number one, it'd be the end of his medical career. And, mm -hmm. you know, they would, they would hang him from the highest pole. So, so yeah, when they put that in my, my record, I was like quick to, quick to download and print it. Yeah. So have you talked to your neurologist about that? I mean, I, I assume that when you're talking to him, you said, I believe it's the vaccine. They've acknowledged it all along. They've acknowledged it all along. Uh, the, the neurologist has. The neurologist had. Even okay. In the day when I was back in the hospital, you know, they would uh, they would say, "Yeah, this is this is caused by the vaccine. This is definitely caused by the vaccine." But there's no way <clears throat> nobody would put that in writing. There was it. There, you know, if, if you and I were talking and you're the doctor, yeah, what you've got going on here is caused by the vaccine. But you know, we can't put that in the medical record. And things I think are finally, finally starting. I think that the, the records dump from Pfizer a couple of weeks ago, I think that is helping. That has helped a lot. And things are finally, I think people are finally starting to acknowledge um, there is collateral damage out here. And, uh, you know, here, here I am. I'm part of that collateral damage. So when you were... You, through the through the entire process, and and it's been what ten months now, or pretty close yep. since you originally uh, got vaccinated. Through that process, you've had uh, a strong feeling about you know what was the root cause and all that kind of stuff. When did you recognize that there were a bunch of people like you uh, that had had similar uh, reactions? How how did you figure that out? Uh, when I was in the hospital, um, there were a lot of dark days. A lot of dark nights. Oh, uh, sure. People were amazed by the positive attitude I kept. And one of the things that I did that really helped me keep that positive attitude was I would, at the end of every day, I would open up, you know, in the beginning, I would open up my laptop and I'd type out what my day was. And as it progressed, it went to, uh, voice to text and then it went to just video well I was posting that stuff out of my Facebook page <clears throat> and mm. 
I started amassing followers and I have people, I still have people that follow me from all over the world. Interesting. And, and I would get uh, text or I would get messenger messages from all these people, these people all over the world, you know, well, you know, my dad had this vaccine and now he's having this problem all of a sudden. Uh, my brother had this had a, had the, the shot and now he's having problems. And it was almost like I became a lightning rod for this. And I had all these people coming to me with these things and, uh, you know, and asking my advice. Well, what do you think? And it's just like, oh, you know, I'm not a guy, you know. Yeah, right. this is this is what happened to me. You know, all I can do is I can tell you what happened to me, and uh, <clears throat> and I still get people to come to me, and I and I and I, I help people. I have a gal here in Mesa um, who got the Johnson Johnson vaccine in November, just this past November, and she's been flat on her back for going on three months now from the vaccine. She can't. She has a heart issue now. She's never had, she's 40 years old. She's never had any heart problems. But all of a sudden, mysteriously, like a week after she got this vaccine, she started having heart problems. And now, like I said, she, she can't, she can't sit up. She has to stay prone all the time or her heart rate goes just out of control. So. Okay. So then you've had a, a lot of interaction then over the last eight, nine months oh, with other, other injured people, family members of other injured people, that sort of thing. Amount of interaction. When you were posting all that stuff on Facebook, uh, did any of it get removed or censored? I spent so much time in Facebook jail. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I was a frequent flyer in Facebook jail and I had uh, two different accounts. I had... <laughs> I had a troll, I have a, an old trolling account and I had another account. And so between the three of them and I would have all my followers were friends with all three of my accounts. Yeah. So when my Steve Wenger account would get thrown in jail for seven days, usually seven days it was, uh, well, then we'd switch over to my Sam Butarski account. And when Sam Butarski would get thrown in jail, you know, then we'd switch over to the next account and, uh, it was. It was, it was crazy. And it was, and what was, what was so aggravating about it was I, it, you know, it was for posting, you know, um, you know, like rumors or, you know, you know, unsubstantiated material is what they would call it. Something like unsubstantiated materials. It, right. Stuff the fact checkers didn't agree with. Right. And it was, yeah. no, and I mean, it, it, nothing was conjecture. It was, it was my story. It was. This is what happened to me today. This is right. what my day was today, and the fact checkers would say, "Oh, yeah, that's seven days in jail. You're going, to, you're going to Facebook jail for seven days for that." It's just like, <laughs> and uh, once I shifted over, once once I lost control or lost use of my hands and everything, at that point I switched over to uh, uh, Facebook Live, and once I went to Facebook Live, I didn't have any more problems anymore because nothing was written down. Interesting. So I didn't have any issues once I went Facebook Live. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so I'll have to go back and see some of the things that you've uh, you've put up there. That'll be an interesting story to to wander through for sure. So, yeah. If you go back to like uh, if you go back in my profile to August, 
uh, you'll see my my Facebook videos are up there. My Facebook live videos are up there, and uh, there's videos where <clears throat> I was watching one, and it's basically it's a video from here up. It's just from my chin and my head <clears throat> because I couldn't adjust my phone and I couldn't sit up because I was that was when I was at the you know that was when I was at rock bottom. And, uh, that was what about month two or three in the Mayo Clinic at that point? Well into month three. Well into month three. Into month three. Okay. And uh, yeah, I couldn't adjust it, so it was just a. It was just where the nurse had positioned my phone, and I had kind of slid down in the bed. And well, now all you see was my, my chin up. So. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah. And I, so then, I, uh, those videos and the writings that I did there was, there's nothing held back. There was, there was nothing held back. There was, you know, it, it was, it was everything that happened to me in that day, everything, whether it was something that was, um, I guess it didn't matter how embarrassing it was. It didn't matter because at that point, um, you know, I'd been in the hospital for so long and, you just get, you just, you just get numb to it. It just, it doesn't matter anymore. It's, you know, you're, you know, you got to go to the bathroom. Well, they strip you naked in bed and, uh, they put you in a hoist, they put me in a hoist and they'd lift me up in this hoist and swing me over and set me down on this, this rolling toilet and roll me into the bathroom. And then it was, uh, it was, uh, it was something else. It was, uh, I'm sure something else. There's a couple of things that I, I find pretty interesting that I, that I want to jump in on just really quickly. The first thing is my experience in, in my life and in watching people that have gone through, you know, really difficult times like this is, is there's a few ways that you can respond. You can respond with anger. Uh, you can respond with depression, just kind of sink into it. Uh, or you can respond with hope and, and a fight, a uh, fighting spirit and wanting to, you know, conquer this thing. Pretty clear to me that uh, while I imagine you had some angry days and some depressed days, primarily you were responding with hope and a fight. Uh, would you say that that's accurate? That more often than not, that was your mindset: is I'm gonna get through this one way or the other. Absolutely. Um, doctors, nurses, um, they'd all say the same thing. I just, they, you know, they come in. They, I just can't believe. Uh, how positive, you you know, considering where you are and what you're going through, how positive your attitude is. Um, the hospital, like the psychiatrist or their counselor would come in. Yeah. And we'd just sit there and we'd just sit there and shoot the breeze. It was, and even she's like, she goes, you know, it's just, it's just, it's almost unfathomable how well you're, you're, uh, accepting this and what's going on. And, um, you know, I look at her and say, well, you know, you know get it, I guess being in a rotten, miserable mood isn't going to make the situation any better. Um, it was funny. One of the, <laughs> one of my, uh, one of my friends, I, I had a lot of people, they would, I, I'm a, I got, I've, I've been a Sasquatch fan for forever. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Sasquatch fan. So all those people out there. Okay. But anyway, I'm a Sasquatch fan. So I had all these people uh, sending me Sasquatch stuff. And one of my old neighbors here shows up in my room. She comes up to visit me and she, she goes, okay, I got a couple presents for you. And she hands me this thing and 
I open it up and it's two pairs of Sasquatch socks. And I'm like, oh, these are awesome, these Sasquatch socks. So <laughs> I open the second one up and it's this pack of Sasquatch stickers. It's a 50 pack of Sasquatch stickers. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of cool. And I'm like, I put one on my laptop and I'm like, okay, I got 49 Sasquatch stickers. What am I going to do? <laughs> so I kind of got the idea. It's like, all right, well, the doctors and the nurses, any from now on, anybody that comes in to help me or to, to assist me in any way is going to get a Sasquatch sticker. So the nurses would come in and I'm like, okay, well, you got to take a Sasquatch sticker. And of course, they like the Sasquatch sticker. They like the stickers because they put them on their hydro flasks on their water bottles. Okay. So it, <laughs> it got to the point. I went through the 49 stickers and I had to order another 50 off of Amazon. <laughs> went through those 50 and had to order another 50. And uh, I had uh, people coming up and, are you the Sasquatch guy? Are you the Sasquatch guy? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, can I get one of your Sasquatch stickers? Well, they're right over there. Help yourself. You know, go grab a Sasquatch sticker. And, and I had a bowl of candy and take a candy bar or whatever, you know, help yourself. And uh, <clears throat> when I, uh, I got discharged from Mayo the first time, they thought they had my condition under control. They sent me to rehab. And I was over there a week and I had to come back. And because uh, I was still getting worse, and they wheel me in at like it was like nine o'clock at night, and uh, they wheel me up onto I was on fifth floor, uh, five central, and they wheel me into five central. And I think they went put me into D wing, <clears throat> and one of the nurses goes, "Hey," she goes, "You're the Sasquatch guy, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and uh, and like four of the nurses hold up their bottles. We got your stickers. It's so I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. I said, I got a whole bunch more. And and they put me into this room. And it was just kind of like this little tiny room. It was a little tiny hospital room. And and it kind of had the, the, you know, standard hospital bed. And uh, <clears throat> the nurse comes into me. And I've been in there. And it's just like this bed is miserable. It's like laying on it. It's like laying on a couple of hay bales. Mm-hmm. And uh, the nurse comes in. And she says to me, she goes, she looks at me. And she goes, don't worry. She goes, I'm going to get you out of here tomorrow. She goes, the people, the person down in the corner room is moving out tomorrow, is going out. She goes, that room is way bigger, way more light. She goes, we're going to move you into that into that corner room. And she goes, we got a brand new air, mat, air bed coming up for you tomorrow too. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so they Small victories. The next morning, <laughs> they wheeled me into that corner bed, that corner room. And I had a... Um, uh, it was like a full-sized, it was a brand new airbed. They took, they were pulling wow. plastic off of it as they wheeled it into the room. Brand new air mattress. That bed, I told, I kept telling them, I'm taking this thing home with me. I'm taking <laughs> home with me. And uh, so it did pay, you know, the positive attitude paid off uh, in a lot. Sure. Um, uh, I think I got um, more attentive care from the nurses because I was always, I was always in such a positive mood. I was always in such a good mood. I never, other than than one instance where they did have to call security. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but other than that, there was one instance where I wanted to take a shower and they kept telling me it was too dangerous. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been taking showers here for three weeks now. How can it all of a sudden be dangerous? Well, that escalated quickly and got ugly. And then they had to call, uh, they called security and, and I'm looking at the security guy, and I'm like, there's three of you guys. There's three of you security guys here. And I said, I'm a quadriplegic sitting in a wheelchair. What threat do I really pose here? <laughs> what threat do I really pose? 
other than the fact yeah. that I'm, you know, I'm swearing like a sailor right now, you know, what threat do I really pose? But there was, there were the days. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't yeah. all, wasn't all um, uh, rainbows and unicorns. There were, there was a couple days there where it got ugly. But yeah, most of the time it was Sasquatches. Right? Most of the time it was Sasquatches. <laughs> um, I did have. I did have one instance that I, that I'll relay on and, uh, I've never been, uh, and I, and, and I don't know, hopefully this doesn't cross the line. Um, I've never been a religious person. Uh, okay. I've always been, I, I, I believe, um, well, anyway, um, I never really truly believed in a higher being. All right. And I was laying in my hospital bed one night and, uh, and this was about, week, week and a half, uh, before my, my case, before my, uh, uh things started to turn around and I started to go on the upswing and start to get better. And okay. It's like 10 30 at night. And, uh, this white light came down and there was, and this is the God's honest truth. There was an angel who stood next to me for about three, four seconds, looked down on me um, I can see her just as vivid right now in my mind as I was when she was standing there and she was there, uh, gave me, I guess, some peace, peace of mind. I don't know. I, uh, at the time it was kind of scary cause I wasn't sure what it was. In fact, it was when it was all over, I hit the call button. I told the nurse, my room was haunted. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, there was a ghost standing right here just like seconds ago. And she goes, yeah, you're probably dreaming. And I'm like, no, that was, it was uh, as vivid as, as I am sitting here, as I'm looking at my laptop here, it, is, it was as vivid as that is. Um, wow. that, that did change. That's, so I think I got, I became a, uh, it was a, hor- a, hor- a, a horrendous experience, the whole thing in, 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 uh, in, in all. But I think I became yeah. a better, I became a better person because of it uh if that makes any sense i think it may i think it's made me a better person uh it is well it's made me appreciate all the little things in life um you know it, being able to brush my teeth just being able to yeah. brush my teeth being able to to feed myself um you know the things that everybody the people just you you just you, you know just take them for you just take it for granted it's just you know, until that's all taken away from me, you really don't realize, you just don't realize. So, yeah, I have a pretty strong philosophy that I, that I believe in with all my heart. And that is that everything that comes to us uh, in our lives, every challenge is an opportunity. Absolutely. And the worst, if you want to even say worse, the hardest, most difficult, uh, most trying challenges in my view, are the where the ones where we have the most opportunity to learn and grow and, and become better because of them. Now we also have the opportunity to let them break us down, and uh, and and make us more bitter and and more angry and all the other things. But th- these types of things, while you wouldn't wish them on anybody, uh, when we do go through them, if we look at it the way that you have and and find it as a challenge that can be overcome, that will be overcome. Uh, then absolutely, you're going to learn and grow and, and become a better person because of that. And, and it's beautiful to hear because, unfortunately, you and I both know people whose challenges have 
broken them down more than they built them up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 you can see it both ways. And I love what you said about that. Uh, you know, having a, a rotten—I don't remember the words you used—but a, a terrible attitude about what was going on wasn't going to make anything better, right? Right. And uh, so instead, you uh, sasquatched your way into a you know positive attitude, and and <laughs> and that's that's powerful, and and it means something because I anybody listening to this podcast, imagining being in your shoes. It, I don't even think it's possible. You know, another thing that I always say is they, they talk about the old, you know, Native American uh, thing where you walk a mile in a man's moccasins, right, before you can relate to him. But we can't ever walk a mile in another man's moccasins. It's literally impossible to experience life the way they're experiencing it, right? So we can't appreciate what you've gone through. But what I hope that we can do, listening to your stories, we can appreciate how you went through it and uh, and what you chose to do in terms of this challenge. And, and I, I deeply respect you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's powerful stuff. So we, we do probably want to wrap up relatively soon, but there are a few more questions that I'm really curious about that I think people will want to know. So one is, with this process of you having... Uh, just recently had your neurologist admit on paper that uh, he believes that it was the vaccine. Uh, what else have you done uh, to try to get the word out about the potential dangers of these vaccines? Um, I have tried to, I've done a couple of uh, speeches. I've done a couple of these podcasts. Um, any opportunity I get to talk about it, I take. Um <clears throat> I have been trying to get hold of my senators and my Congress, Congress rep, or congressional reps here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, my two Democrat, I have two Democratic um, senators here who had no interest in hearing what I had to say. I uh, couldn't get hold of either one of them. So I, and, and when I say I, that I tried to get hold of these people, um, we're talking about emailing them. And calling them Monday through Friday for almost two straight months. Wow. Every day. And getting no response from either one of them. I finally got so fed up with it. uh, I just, we went down to downtown. I looked up their office addresses in Phoenix and drove to their offices. And we sat there and rapped on their door. And I dig it into one of the senators, uh, Senator Mark Kelly's office. Uh, his office was there. And I dig it in and talk to his people there. Um, gave him my story and that stuff and told him what I was looking for and never heard from them again. Um, my congressional rep here in Arizona is uh, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. Um, I've been actually talking back and forth with her office for Oh, a good solid three months. And mm-hmm. we talk about different things, different legislation. I haven't actually talked to the congresswoman yet, but on April 19th, uh, I have a meeting with the congresswoman at her office here in Surprise, Arizona. Uh, so that is uh, 12 days away. And I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's great. It's going to be huge. Uh, and, you know, and I'm just going to, you know, I, all I want to do is talk to her and just say, you know what? It's, I tell people it's this, this isn't a political issue. You know what, what I'm going through and what thousands of other people are going through, this isn't a political issue because this, these, these vaccine injuries, they didn't just affect Republicans. 
they don't just affect Democrats and they don't just affect right. the uh, independents. It affects everybody. And it's not just the people in your district or that district. It's districts all over the country. So it's not a political, it's not a political issue. It's a humanity issue. And all we're asking for, all, all I'm asking for from these people is, you know what? My life, as I knew it, has been destroyed. I can't work. I still can't work. I've been unemployed for almost a year now. Um, I get some Social Security disability, but that just started in January, and it's a fraction of what, you know, of, of what I made when I was when I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, all I'm asking for is the same urgency to help to help me that was shown. To the people that were being displaced when COVID was going, you know, when when businesses were shutting down, I mean, yeah, when you know they they couldn't they couldn't do enough. Okay, well, we're going to give you your unemployment, and we're going to give you, uh, you know, we're going to increase the amount of the unemployment, and then we're going to give you an extra five hundred dollars a week. Um, man, I'll tell you what, I'd like to see that. Uh, I could sure that, but there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there, and and nobody wants to hear. Like I said before. As soon as you mention vaccine injury, you can, I can have somebody all interested in talking to me about what's going on. And oh yeah, I was injured, you know, by the, the vaccine. Uh, dead air, crickets. That's it. Never hear from yeah. them again. And it's the same with the politicians. It's and I and I've said to you know I've said to you know when I was in uh, Senator Kelly's office, and I was talking to one of his his uh, his reps. I said I said you know I understand it's a political hot button. This is a political hot button, and I get that. I said, but you know, it's. You know, I'm not. I'm not rallying for the vaccine, and I'm not rallying against the vaccine. I'm just saying that I did my part. I did my part. I was asked by the United States government to go out and get this vaccine, and I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to get it, but I got it, and I did my part. And you know what? And because I did my part, you know, now I've been irreparably harmed. It's altered. It's it has enti- completely altered my life, and nobody wants to hear about it, and nobody cares, and that's the part that's the most that's just infuriating. Is that they just they don't care. They just they don't care. So then, what message do you have for people listening to this? How can they help to get this word out? Uh, what what are you what are you looking for? Why do you take all these interviews? Why are you telling your story? What's your hope there? Because the more people that hear about it, the more people that are going to are that are, are the more people that are aware of it. Uh, I feel it it's it has um, it gets more leverage because mm-hmm. people you're not gonna, you're not going to hear about this on the five o'clock news. You're certainly right. hear about it on CNN. You're not going to hear about even Fox News. You know, when this was all going down, I sent emails to, I thought, whoa, you know, Sean Hannity, he's going to want to hear about this. Crickets. Tucker Carlson, crickets. The whole Fox News staff, crickets. Um, you're not going to hear about it on the news. And it's just, it's just in the last few weeks that we are there are a few stories starting to trickle out. Um, yeah. I think the the last one I the last one I saw was the um, was it U.S. Tennis Open down in Miami. Yeah. Fifteen, fifteen. These athletes who are in peak 
physical condition. Peak yeah. physical condition. And they couldn't compete. 15 athletes, they couldn't compete. What was the one common denominator? They'd all just gotten their boosters. Yep. The one common denominator. But do you hear about that in the news? Nah, there was this little tiny, you know, article that I saw, you know, off on the side of my news feed. But you didn't hear about that on Fox. Certainly not going to hear about it on CNN or MSNBC. You don't hear about it on the news. Nobody wants to talk about it. We live in, an, in a unique age, for sure. The, the thing that I've been fighting against for the entire two-plus years of this, uh, you know, pandemic, because we're right, <clears throat> we're interviewing in, you know, April of, of uh, 2022. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was, you know, late March, early April of, of 2020 when all this thing hits. So we're basically right right at two years. And I, you know, I have this other podcast that I do, Vitality Radio, and, and I've looked back at what I said two years ago, and it's really interesting. It wasn't long into it. It was, we were in, we were April, where we were having to, you know, we held a secret meeting, uh, me and some friends of mine in the, you know, kind of alternative health world, um, because we were told we couldn't gather in groups of more than 10 and all the things that were, were being told. We held a secret meeting in somebody's basement uh, to discuss what we could do to get the word out to people about what was happening in terms of our, our freedoms, because that was our biggest concern is, is our freedoms being taken away. Most of us were small business owners and, you know, didn't want to be boarded up and all that kind of stuff. And of course, this is before we had any idea there would be a vaccine that would be rushed out into production in, you know, less than less than a year and all that stuff. As things moved forward, then we started to see the censorship and the censorship has been Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it. you want to talk about restricting freedoms, you know, our freedom of speech has been removed to a very large degree in this country. And and to me, anyway, that is the ultimate freedom that we've been promised in America is that freedom of speech. Whether you like what somebody says or not, they have a right to say it, right? right. So <clears throat> here we are, though, in a, in a unique place, because if this level of censorship had happened uh, 100 years ago, be pretty hard to get any of the information out at all, but we are in the internet age. We do have options now, and social media is where a lot of the censorship, maybe most of the censorship is happening. But people can share these stories in alternative ways. These videos will be on Rumble. Uh, they will be in places where they can be shared, uh, as well as the podcasting apps. And for who knows what reason, podcasts to a large degree, with the exception of Rogan getting slammed when he had you know Malone and McCullough on, uh, have been left alone to a large degree. I've, I've interviewed uh, multiple uh, injured people uh, on my on my other show. Um, I've interviewed people who have had some very, um, I'll say, <laughs> some very uh, negative things to say about these vaccines. And these podcasts are out there and they can be shared. Yep. So I would encourage everybody listening to use the these forms of media that we do have some freedoms in and get this word out because I agree with you 100%, Steve. It is leverage. The more people are aware, uh, the more we can stand together and work in, as Brianne uh, Dressen, our mutual friend says, team humanity. You know, we can we can care about people because they're people, not be because there's any politics behind any of it. 
And so please, if you're listening to this, as I said at the very beginning, if you're listening to this story and it's touching you and you recognize that there is a need for more people to hear it, please help them hear it. Uh, Spread the word, get this information out there. Um, Steve, I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate your story. Your attitude is just, it's frankly, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see someone who's gone through what you've gone through, uh, spent the money that you've had to spend. I can't even imagine what your medical bills are like at three and a half months in in you know Mayo Clinic is just my my medical bills insane my medical bills from June fourteenth of twenty twenty one to December thirty first of twenty one were one point three million dollars. Good heavens! And yeah, on wood, um, I have I have good insurance, so you know the insurance covered it. But yeah, it was one point three million dollars. Um, I still get the uh, I still get uh, bi monthly treatments at Mayo. And uh, those are $16,000 per time. So $32,000 a month uh, is what my my ongoing treatments are yet. And for into the unforeseen future, it's $32,000 a month. Which which means something, too. I mean, my primary concern, I think your primary concern here is, is the human being, him or herself, right, yep. that's going through this. But that financial burden... If your insurance is paying for it, then we're all paying for it, right? Every- and if your insurance isn't paying for it, then it's burying you. And either way, it's a problem right. and it needs to be addressed. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a big deal. Steve, what else uh, would you like to share? Is there anything else uh, before I let you go? I think that's good. Uh, I think these people, you know, like I said, you're, to your viewers, um, get it out. There's a lot of people out there that, that don't believe, that still don't believe that these vaccine injuries are real. In fact, I'll give you one Absolutely. quick uh, uh, last minute thing here. I was doing a radio interview um, with a gal up in Wausau, Wisconsin. And one of her callers called in as I was on the line. And his response was that perhaps I was lucky that I had gotten the vaccine, that perhaps the vaccine, which caused my injury, made my injury less severe. And... <laughs> I didn't even know how to respond to that. I mean, I, 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 I sat there dumbfounded. I don't, didn't even know how to respond. I mean, it's luckily they hung up on the guy before I think before I did. <laughs> so well, the the truth is, the brain. You know, one of the things that I do a lot of is I talk about neuroscience and 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 how the brain works, and we are constantly trying to confirm our own beliefs. Yep. And so those who believed against the vaccine, you know, I, I was never in favor of these vaccines at all. doesn't sound like you were either. Oh. Uh, and others who were, you know, all in favor, of course. And truth be told, I believed I was right. You believed you were right. They believed they were right. So who's right, right? right. Who's right and who's wrong? And, and we are oftentimes, in most cases, really trying to just confirm our own beliefs. And people will find whatever shred of evidence they think they have to do that. And and at some point, though, I believe it does get overwhelming. The evidence gets overwhelming. There, As we walked through this process, there was far more distrust of what the government was saying about COVID-19. There was far more distrust of Dr. Fauci. There was far more distrust of the Biden administration. And I don't think it was a political thing. It was just that what they were saying wasn't adding up over and over and over again. And so people then thought, well, wait, you know, maybe there is something to these crazy conspiracy theorists, friends of mine who are saying that this is a bunch of crap, right? Exactly. So it's an interesting thing. And it's, and it's 
it, it's been fascinating to watch and and sad uh, to a very large degree, of course. But it is it it's messages like yours, stories like yours that I think can turn the tide because you're not running for office. You're not looking to do anything to influence people other than just simply tell the truth. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I appreciate that very much. All right, Steve. Well, thank you. Uh, I, uh, on the, the end of the podcast, uh, you listening will have, uh, get some more information on how you can help besides just sharing this, but Probably the biggest thing you can do is simply share this message, get it out there. Uh, Steve, I appreciate your time joining us on the Dearly Discarded uh, podcast. If you haven't figured out by now listening, there's a reason why we chose that name. Uh, People like yourself have been discarded and ignored, and uh, we don't want you to be ignored anymore. So thank you so much. I think of myself as COVID's dirty little secret. (laughs) And the thing is, it's it's not even a little secret. Nobody wants wants to hear about or talk about the dirty little secrets. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of more just like you. So, uh, and those secrets are getting out. Uh, we, we, we can stem this tide and we can turn it around. I I really believe that, or I wouldn't be spending my time doing this podcast. So we're going to, we're all going to band together and we're going to figure this out. We're going to get the word out there and we're going to get it so big that people, uh, can't ignore us anymore. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. And I'm sure we'll uh, talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything.